Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 52 for our Old Testament reading. Isaiah 52, verses 1 and 12, God is speaking to his people through the prophet, speaking of a day when God will bring about his salvation for his people. And this is what he says. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God. My people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now, therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? The rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Please turn now in your New Testament to Ephesians chapter 3. Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus and the surrounding churches in Western Asia Minor. He is in prison in Rome. He is concerned for the welfare of the churches. He has written this letter to encourage the churches in his absence. And he has just been speaking of the mystery of the gospel, that God himself would come in his son. 
that God would not merely send a Savior, that God would be that Savior in the person of Jesus. And that God would not merely bring the Gentiles back to himself, but that he would save the Gentiles on an equal basis as the Jews from whom the Savior would be born. And having spoken of that mystery of Christ through the gospel, he says these words. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. O oh Lord our God, we do come to you this morning humbly in Jesus' name, asking you to work for us what we cannot work for ourselves. We pray that you would open our eyes so that we might behold Jesus more clearly. We pray that you would unplug our ears, that we might hear him speaking to our hearts. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would make both the words of my mouth and the thoughts in each of our hearts pleasing in your sight. That you would be praised that we might be transformed and that Christ would be exalted in our midst. We come in Jesus' name. Amen. When I first came to Christ in the mid-1970s, it was relatively easy to be a Christian back then. And it was easy to engage in Christian ministry. There was a cultural awareness of God and there was an appreciation at that time for his moral standards. People who disagreed tended to be the odd ones out and that's what it was, a disagreement, or so it seemed. I remember when we handed out leaflets on 
the campus of Michigan State University advertising a Christian speaker. And some people would take the leaflets and some people wouldn't, but that was it. They would either take it or they wouldn't take it. And if they took it, they would either immediately dispose of it on the ground or they would put it in a backpack or notebook and keep on walking. But there was no animosity involved. Those of us handing out the leaflets were friendly and those taking them would smile. Not everyone would smile, but many would. But they would just go on. There was no shouting. There was no violence or cursing. There was no animosity. Not that I remember. But today it's quite a different story. That general cultural awareness of God has really disappeared from our culture. We have become increasingly secular. More and more people have no contact or awareness of the Bible, of the teaching of Scripture. It isn't so easy to be a Christian now. There's more hostility and antagonism. But it's even harder to engage in Christian ministry. Whereas once we handed out leaflets advertising a Christian speaker in one of the camp, in the campus arena, nowadays it's very possible that they wouldn't be allowed in the campus arena that we would not be free to hand out uh, literature uh, across campus. Uh, either it would be much more severely restricted. There would likely, instead of people taking and reading, they would take and trash as many of the leaflets as they could. As a purveyor of what is now an unpopular message, you are likely to face increasing intimidation. Not just on campuses, but in the workplace or out in, out in our community. And, and so much so that you might begin to wonder about yourself as a Christian. Who am I? Or who are you? What, what right do we have to speak into the lives of others since obviously they're becoming increasingly angry and antagonistic. Um, what right do we have to call others to repent and to believe in Jesus as their only hope? Because there are many that think we have no right to speak at all. Well, the Apostle Paul in our text today addresses this very question about what right does he have? Who is he to speak to them of the mysteries of the gospel? He's already pondered that wondrous mystery of the gospel message itself, that God in his Son has come to save, that he saves not only the Jews, his chosen people, but he saves both Jew and Gentile on an equal basis. 
And so he moves on to consider now his own role as, as a preacher of the gospel, as, as a minister, as one who is, as it were, intruding into the culture and speaking a word that is either not understood and even increasingly antagonistic to the people who hear it. What he says and what he reveals that can help us in, as we seek to do the same in our own world, in our own culture, is that Christian ministry is never about the person engaged in that ministry. It's not about me. It's not about you when you choose to speak. It's about God and his grace calling us to participate in the ministry of the gospel. It is grace that compels the cause of Christian of gospel ministry. It is grace that comprises the content of Christian ministry. It is grace that consummates and brings to fullness conduct of gospel ministry. Grace compels the cause of gospel ministry. Notice what he says. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. What Paul is saying here is that his role in gospel ministry is not about him. It's not about his suitability. It's not about his accomplishments. It's not about his strength. It's not whether or not he was a, a fluent and impressive speaker. He tended to think that he was not. It's not about his worthiness. It's all about God and his grace, his loving kindness that is not deserved. Sadly, it seems that more and more in our own day, the people have forgotten this as numerous professing Christian leaders have engaged in scandal have looked to themselves and their own perceived greatness as the cause of their success and have forgotten God, have forgotten the very message that they're presenting other than as a tool to gain more fame and more, dare I say, worship of themselves. In a similar manner, people hold back from any involvement in gospel outreach because of their own self-sense of unworthiness. What, what do I have to say? How can I speak? But friends, as Paul makes exceedingly clear here, gospel ministry begins not with the person, but with God and his grace. 
Notice what Paul does here. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister. He didn't make himself a minister. He didn't go to college and graduate school and earn the right to speak. He was made a minister. And of course, the implication of that passive verb is that God was the one who made him the minister. But he goes on. He was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. It was a gift. It wasn't an accomplishment. It wasn't a merited promotion. It was a gift, and it was a gift of grace. Grace is what God gives of his kindness to those who deserve only his condemnation. But he sees himself as a recipient of grace upon grace, a gift of his grace. And he goes on to say, it's a gift of grace which was given to me. Again, it was given. It wasn't something that he achieved. It was given. And how was it given? By the working of God's power. Not by his own effort, not by his own working, not by his own brilliance, but it was God's power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, that to me is an emphatic pronoun in in the Greek language, and it's put first. Paul just can't believe that he would even be a minister of the gospel. He is astounded that God would have given him this task. Why? He says, though I am the very least of all the saints. The very least of all the saints. Some translations say less than the least of all the saints. And that is a more precise rendering. You see, the word here is a word that it appears Paul himself invented trying to express his own sense of unworthiness. He starts out with the root word for little, and then he takes the superlative form, least, to which he adds a comparative suffix so that it comes out leaster. That means there's nobody any lower in terms of having a right to be a minister of the gospel. And he says of this gospel, I was made a minister. A minister is a servant. In fact, the word there is the word diakonos, which in other places is translated deacon. He is a servant of the gospel which was given to him by grace because God worked his power in order to give it to him. And then he ends by saying this grace was given. There's just this tumbling forward, tumbling out of him, all these words of givenness and gift gifting from God and the working of God's power and his own sense of unworthiness. Paul was very self-conscious of his prior persecution of Christ and the church. 
In another place, he refers himself as the chief of sinners. As these words of grace and givenness tumble out of his mouth, Paul speaks of his involvement in ministry. That's how he speaks of it, as a result of grace. That's where it all began, that God took note of him, that God gave, that God gave grace, that grace was given, that gifts were given, that his role as a servant in the church was something that was given to him, not accomplished by him. It's very possible this morning that some of you, perhaps many of you, are very self-conscious of your own sense of unworthiness before God. And perhaps even more, your own sense of being unable to speak about this God to the world around us. You don't need a Bible college degree. You don't need any degree at all. You don't need to have an exemplary life. Paul is an enemy of the church. It is grace. Grace that is the cause of gospel ministry. Paul had no pretensions about himself. He did not have an inflated ego. That's not why he was where he was and what he was doing. He understood that God was kind to him in a way that he didn't deserve. That's where ministry begins, when you understand the grace of God. It is grace that compels the cause of Christian ministry. But we next see that grace comprises the content of gospel ministry. Notice in the middle of verse 8, he says, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Gospel ministry doesn't just begin in grace to a servant who was unworthy to be serving the Lord in this way. But rather, the gospel ministry is in its entirety of its content grace. Notice in verse 8, preach to the Gentiles. Preach to the Gentiles. The Gentiles were not very well liked by the Jews. The Jews saw themselves as the chosen people of God. The Gentiles were their enemies. The Gentiles were the ones who despised them. The Gentiles were the ones who finally overran their kingdom. The Gentiles were the ones who were their enemies. And yet Paul says that This grace he received from God was to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, what are those unsearchable riches? Well, it's 
all these spiritual blessings that he has already spoken of in Ephesians 1. Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in love. He predestined us for adoption as his sons. According to the purpose of his will, the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. He goes on and on to speak of all these different blessings that God has given to us as sinners because of Jesus. And he says that his calling was to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, in saying that these riches are unsearchable, he is not saying that they are unknowable. He is saying that you can never search out the full extent of all that they are and mean. It's from the word for tracks, like if a hunter is tracking an animal. It's just, it's untrackable. You just cannot find out all there is to find out about what God has done for us. That's how wonderful it is. And he has the privilege to preach to the Gentiles who, in the Jewish mind, were not worthy of anything. Of course, the problem is is Jews weren't worthy either. They just thought they were. But you know, sometimes, sometimes we're in danger of the same attitude. You know, we, we deserve, we come to church. We read the Bible. People out there that are laughing and mocking, they don't deserve. Friends, that's not the gospel. That's law. You break it, you lose it. It's gone. But he's saying that God's riches in Christ are unsearchable. You cannot plumb the depths of all that God has for you. His love, you you can't fully understand his love. Paul, as one who persecuted Christ, could never get over the fact that Christ had called him to be a preacher. His His ministry was grace. That's all that he could offer is what he himself had received to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. But even more, he goes on to say in verse 9, it's not just preaching to the Gentiles, but notice what he says, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. To bring to light for everyone. He's suggesting where everybody's living in darkness. But he gets to, to, to give them light. Not just to the Gentiles, but to the Jews too. And indeed, that's how he speaks of his calling in 2 Corinthians 6, or rather 4, verse 6. He says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, his gospel ministry is about bringing light to everyone, both Jews and Gentiles. 
And it is a what he refers to as the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Well, that plan is the gospel that God would send his own son for the salvation of sinners. It was not fully understood. You remember even Jesus' disciples did not understand when Jesus started to tell them he was going up to Jerusalem and die. Their thought of salvation was victory over the bad guys. Not the destruction of the Savior. Yes, they knew that God had promised a Savior and that the Savior would come from the Jews and that he would bring about righteousness and peace. But they, it was hidden for the ages. And yet Paul says that he is the one that gets to tell everybody about the, what God has done, what God has planned. Salvation is no afterthought. God's intention from before time was that he would be gracious to his people. It's all about grace. But he doesn't stop here on earth. His eyes go up to heaven as he thinks about this message that he has in its import. And he says in verse 10, So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now through the church through the people that have received his grace, they would be a living picture. We say a picture is worth a thousand words. He says that's what his ministry is about, is that grace might be visualized before the entire world. He speaks of the manifold witness of God. Through the church, the manifold wisdom. What is that manifold? It, it's, it's like being multicolored, multifaceted. The coat of many colors of, of Joseph, this similar word was used. This, the manifold colors. Well, the manifold witness. What is this manifold witness? Well, it's that there's all these different people of all these different tongues and tribes and nations and languages, both Jews and Gentiles. And in the church, they would be a picture of God's grace. As all these people who once hated God and hated one another, now suddenly are loving God and loving one another. It's unbelievable. Where did this come from? How could this be? And yet there it is. Not just for the world, but we're told it might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's for the glory of God. Through the entirety of creation. So that angels themselves would look upon the church and in the church, see, in a way that they would never personally understand the grace of God to sinners. 
a living picture. It's, it's not something we can do on our own. If I were to say right now, be gracious to one another. Go home and don't say a single unkind word or have a single unkind thought towards anyone. My guess is most of us won't make it out of the parking lot. Merely commanding it doesn't work. But we are meant as recipients of grace to be the very message of grace to the heavens itself that the angels would glorify God by what he has done in sinners like me and like you. Through the church, the church is the living picture of grace. You see, grace comprises the entire content of gospel ministry. We don't merely receive grace as those who seek to minister the gospel, but what we minister is grace. We minister grace. And finally, what we see is that grace consummates the conduct of gospel ministry. In verse 11, he says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. The gospel begins with grace. Gospel ministry itself is grace. And it ends in grace. God's eternal purpose, which he has realized in the Christ, Jesus our Lord. It's in him that grace is fully brought to completion. It's in Christ. The eternal purpose of God for all of history finds its goal in what Christ has done and what he is doing now in the church. And because of what Christ has done, where we now live as sinners who were rebels against God, what he has done is that in Christ we have boldness and access with confidence to come before the God from whom all we deserve is judgment. But no, we have boldness, a kind of free speaking. We, it doesn't matter. We have the, the freedom to be completely honest as we come before God. Why? Because of what God has done in us to change us that we need not fear him anymore because as recipients of his grace, we've been transformed by that grace. And now as we minister out of that grace, what began in grace 
now ends in grace. That as we put our trust in Christ, through Him, through faith in Him, we have complete access. There's no more hiding in the garden from the sound of God. No, there's coming freely before His throne. And remember what the writer to Hebrews says, it's a throne of grace. It's all about grace. And that means that your circumstances really don't detract from grace. He concludes by saying, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. He's saying, Don't, don't feel that somehow I have failed. Don't feel that the message is wrong because I'm in prison. Don't let that dissuade you. No, I am here suffering for you because of the gospel. That's why he was in prison. He was preaching the gospel. And it is the gospel that is their glory. And so when we engage in ministry, sometimes we have great heights and peaks, and other times we have great discouragements. And we walk through the valley and we wonder, what's the use? But what Paul is saying here is that it all in the end is tied up in grace. Even if in this life we are in prison or put to death, in being put to death, in being in prison because of Christ, that in itself is a testimony to his grace that we would rather have Jesus than anything this world could offer. doesn't matter whether people think high of you or low of you. What matters is Jesus and his grace. We don't have to be intimidated by the world. We don't have to listen to their derogatory comments about people of faith. We don't have to be afraid of what's going on. We can be concerned. But as we seek to represent Christ as servants of his grace, it is as servants of grace. And what we offer is grace. And what we will come to in the end is grace. Because he is the God of grace. It's not how well we perform. It's not what kind of degree we have, success in education, success in finance, success in life. The greatest thing any of us can be is a minister of grace. Knowing that God approves, God loves, God gives, he gives grace upon grace upon grace. He just keeps filling it up. So what could Paul do? Nothing other than to let that grace flow out into the lives of others.
and to acknowledge God is the one who thought this up. Certainly no human would have thought of grace. We're all about getting ahead on our own. Advancing ourselves by our own bootstraps. Showing others how great we are. Paul says, I'm the least of the least. The least of the least. But that doesn't matter. What matters is that God is gracious in his son, the Lord Jesus. And if we really have been filled with that fullness, what can we do but let it flow out into the lives of those around us who need that grace just as much as we do? May that be your joy and confidence and assurance as you live for God in this world, which is no longer quite as friendly either to him or to his people as once we thought it was. Let's pray. Lord, we, what can we say? We tend to look at Paul as the great apostle, the great evangelist. But what made him great is that he didn't see himself as great. He did not take pride in his ministry in the sense of patting himself and boosting himself because of it. No, he knew exactly who he was as one who opposed you at one time, but then who received your grace. And he understood that it was you who did it. Sometimes we forget that it is you who has done it all. We start looking to the gifts you've given the successes in ministry. We forget it's all of grace, beginning to end. That what matters is not that people applaud Lee Capper or Faith Presbyterian Church, but that people are overwhelmed by the unsearchable riches that are to be found in Christ and in Christ alone. Give us joy as we recognize your grace in our lives and the privilege we have to serve you in sharing that grace with others. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for showing grace to us. And for anyone who may not yet know what that grace is all about, Lord, open their hearts today. Draw their attention to Jesus. Help them to see the kindness of God when all we deserve is your wrath. May your grace multiply even this day. We pray in Jesus' name.